0: And just like that, December is on our doorstep. And as days reach maximum temperature and the kids get cooler, Text Talks and Ray-Ban are asking you to be ready to express your truest self and say to any final challenges of the year, you are on. Today has been a momentous one for us because we are currently recording our first live show in front of an audience, something we would have never thought possible without the support of our firm friends, Ray-Ban. So while we get all of that in order, we are still bringing you an episode from our vault featuring Portugal the man in the hopes that you will feel it still. Ray-Ban is your reflection in the mirror of your truest self. It is the shade on a hot summer's day. It is your own focus through any spotlight that may be on you. Together, Tech Talks and Ray-Ban are saying, you got a challenge for us? You are on. You can't predict the light, but with Tech Talks and Ray-Ban, you are always ready to capture it by living each day in the moment. You are on. Define your style at superbulus.com. Welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex, and today I am talking to one of the founding members of an alternative Grammy-winning band that fuses elements of psychedelia and classic rock with a dash of modern pop and a willingness to experiment. Not ones to shy away from speaking their mind, both on and off their records. Their last release was responsible for a song that became omnipresent the world over and gave you a song that was such an earworm you never got tired of hearing of it. I am, of course, talking about vocalist and bassist Zach Carruthers from Portugal, the man. Zach, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's only a pleasure. I'm I'm good under the continued lockdown situation in South Africa, but where in the world are you at the moment?
1: I am in Troutdale, Oregon, just a little bit outside of Portland, just like 20 minutes outside. And uh, yeah, man, uh, yeah, lockdown as well. But uh, it's not as rough as I've, as I've heard it is there, man. I just got the scoop on some, uh, some details, some troubling details. And uh, boy, it's got to be rough over there, man.
0: I know we were chatting before we hit record about the fact that we don't have access to alcohol. We can't go to our beaches. It's pretty rough down here in Africa at the moment. I'm not going to lie.
1: Yeah, man. That's, uh, that's not cool, man. Give the people, yeah, we all need the tools to survive this. And uh, as a functioning alcoholic, that's one of them, you know.
0: Exactly, one hundred percent. But also, it's not often that I get to chat to a musician from Alaska. In fact, you are officially yeah. the first, and I'll be very right honest. Up. And I'll <laughs> yay for being the first! But I'll be I'll be honest and I'll and say that I don't really know too much about Alaska. I mean, I know about Sarah Palin. I mean,
1: oh I yeah, know, she we all know like about me. her,
0: right? And then. Oh, yeah. And then there was a show called Alaskan Bush People that I watched for a while on Animal Planet, which was quite rad. But then I know from a nature perspective, Alaska is also incredibly beautiful. But what was it like growing up there?
1: Oh, man, it was. I mean, it, was it was just beautiful. A lot of nature. It was very isolated. Um, we felt you know very cut off from the, from the rest of the world, but it was in like the best way possible and you really got a chance to kind of know yourself you have a unique perspective on on the land and the people of it and it was a, it's it's very strong community based um, once you became a teenager it was a it was a little more rough you know you got tired of playing in the woods with sticks and you know there there is uh, you do get a little bored and you know a lot of people turn to drugs and alcohol and and a lot of stuff but also in there you know that's why i found music you know we have long dark winters and you know the sun goes down about two thirty in the afternoon Mm -hmm. on the solstice and uh so we'd sit inside and listen to music and uh and play guitar and things like that. So it it really it totally worked out for me and I love it. I miss it. I hope to go back there. I hope to die there. And it's um you know it's uh it's it's one of my favorite places. I mean it's my favorite place in the world. There's there's no place like home.
0: I mean, growing up in Cape Town in South Africa, I'm used to amazing weather. You've been to Cape Town, so you know it's it's so so beautiful. Exactly.
1: Insane.
0: But even though Cape Town can kind of experience four seasons in one day, you guys in Alaska experience a whole other range of weather phenomena that's just incredible. Like, I mean, between the Aurora Borealis and your bear congregations and your salmon runs, like, what was the most beautiful display of Mother Nature that you've ever seen when you were growing up?
1: I mean the the aurora borealis yeah, is is amazing and just um, but I gotta say probably uh, the beluga whale runs oh, wow. in, in Cook Inlet. There's so Cook Inlet is all this like it's kind of this silty gray water that's like very thick you can't see it and then there's just these beautiful completely white whales that all run and poke through it and it's just. It's something just so beautiful, and um, that's just on the tip of my mind. We've done a couple of things there. The population in Cook Inlet is is endangered, and so we've been kind of doing a few, um, a a few like voiceovers for documentaries and things about it. And I kind of it kind of all came back to me. I didn't forget about it, but it's just kind of on the tip of my tongue, just because I've been seeing it recently. And man, it was just it's just something special. Mm. And that was one of those connections with South Africa that like. I I love because we had when we came there a few years ago, we had it was the best trip we've ever done. Best tour we've ever had, um, despite a lot of complications. But just going out there and and getting out on like um, a game reserve and just going out there in the nature, it it really it's completely different than Alaska, but also so, so familiar. And there was just something uh, so old and just timeless about that place and it really reminded me of like the interior of alaska um, but just with completely different animals and and everything but it's just like it's the nature there is so incredible and just like at my home so it really made me miss home and home makes it makes me miss it there
0: that's so interesting to hear you say that there's like a narrative that connects the two places in terms of nature i never thought about it like that before
1: it's but- just huge and expansive and and it's just a place where wildlife thrives, and you know when we when we tour all over and go to a lot of major cities, we get to see a lot of the world, but we don't get to see many places like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's it was really very very refreshing.
0: So, what essentially made you and Jonathan leave Alaska and head to Oregon, which is a good like four thousand kilometers south? Like, how how old are you at this point, and like what is the grand the grand master plan is there even a plan
1: oh there's never a plan i mean we have like (laughs) you know uh, yeah we're we're we we live in anarchy we don't we just uh we want to keep moving forward we have a direction but like we don't have an end game it's kind of all about the journey for us um originally i had moved down to go to college uh with some friends and uh a little bit a few hours outside of portland so i just kind of had a home base here sort of i i knew a couple people And, um, but then we, we kind of made the decision to move down as a band. Um, I was probably about 20 when I first came down here, um, 19 or 20, and this was in 2000. And, um, it just we knew that we had to get down if we wanted to do anything with music just because you could only play there's only so many towns in alaska there's only so many places to play and so we knew that we had to get down if we wanted to kind of go anywhere it was just too expensive to fly in and out of alaska like especially that time could not afford that no one can and so we kind of moved down to like set up our base camp here and when we got here it we didn't totally have a plan, but we just we just realized that there was music everywhere. We'd see mm. all these amazing shows for like three bucks at some little bar, a band I've never heard of, from a town I've never heard of. And they just get in the van and go. And I just didn't. I was like, what? You don't need money and don't need to make money to go on tour? I thought you what needed is, like stage nice? lights and Learjets. And yeah, it's like, so it was kind of funny. It was kind of backwards. We got into this because we realized you don't have to get paid or have money where it's like, all right, you can get enough money to like fill up the gas tank, maybe get a pizza and some beer and go off and just kind of see the world. So we just did that. And it, Portland was a very big eye opener for us. And yeah, but we just got in and we'd left and we just kind of slept in the van and slept on couches and hardwood floors all over the country and and then the rest of the world.
0: So so was it was it a, an easy... Um, like, did you fall straight into the scene or was it kind of like a slow adjustment for you?
1: It was a slow adjustment in Portland. Actually, Portland did not, they did not really, uh, take us under their wing right off the bat. Cause we were transplants. We're from Alaska. We're not from there. And Portland definitely has a locals only kind of vibe, but it's, it's definitely better when you move South. Like we came from Alaska. They're like, Oh, that's okay. If you come up from California, no good. They don't like that shit, but it's, uh, it was it so that worked but also we we left and we went on tour and most bands that got big in portland they just stayed in portland played a lot of shows in portland and the surrounding area and they got big there so portland was kind of the last place that we had success um, but but they when they did they really hit it hard and they really embraced us and they did but it did take a long time just cuz we weren't around we weren't um, all the bands are very very tight here and so everybody goes to everybody's shows and all the parties and stuff and we missed a lot of that just because we were touring 300 days a year and so we weren't home very much and when we were we definitely dug in and we were friends with everybody but we didn't really have the uh the super tight scene because we just went out and instead of getting bigger in our hometown we're like well we'd just rather be smaller everywhere and we just wanted to see we were just kind of hungry for uh for new scenery and uh and interstate miles
0: so where your sound is at currently versus where it started, I mean, it's involved in so many different and interesting directions since your first album in 2006, I think it was. Can yeah. you relive the vibe of the band when you were playing your first couple of shows? What was that like? What was that feeling like?
1: It was chaos. We were terrible. <laughs> it was so much fun, and we love that. But, yeah, we were the worst band, and, and we made, you know, really terrible recordings and it was really it was really fun though because we just we think of releasing albums as kind of like going to school and every we'd make an album and then the next time we'd learn something new and we make another album we'd learn more make another album and so it's just kind of been our education in music and life and we'd go out on tour and we'd learn a bunch of things and then soak up a bunch of information um, in all ways, just through conversations and meeting people and seeing things. And then we'd come back and we'd try to, you know, just put it on our, put it on our albums. And so, yeah, the, the first couple albums, we didn't, you know, the first one, it's it's really funny too, because people think like we were very progressive and they're like, oh, dude, you guys would just like change keys and change time signatures. And that's so progressive and smart. Like, no, we just didn't know how to make a good transition. We didn't know how to write a song. So, <laughs> It's funny. I've played Prague and, and stuff like that. And it's, it's funny. A lot of people are like, oh, I can write a two and a half minute pop song. That's easy. No, it's not. It's incredibly hard. It's like, it's, it's like telling the most elaborate story of your life in two minutes and 30 seconds. You can't. It's like really hard to make it cohesive and have emotion and energy. If you have seven minutes and you can change, you're like, oh, I can go really soft here, go really fast, change the key here. That shit's easy. That's like, it doesn't really take thought and it just takes a lot of like practice and timing um, and a lot of communication, but it's not, it's not the same. So we started off like that and then we were slowly just trying to cohesively uh, relate what we we're trying to spread out and, and trying to just make for ourselves. And so, yeah, we, um, we learned something like John didn't know how to play chords at all. On, a, on the first album maybe the first two albums and then like on our third album he learned how to play chords and so you can really tell then on our next album he learned major chords oh and God, it's amazing. like it's full of them it's, it's really funny when you listen to it like that it's just we didn't know how to do things and then we just slowly learn how to do it and songs would get shorter and more concise and kind of a little more streamlined in what we were trying to say just because we don't know how to communicate and we're slowly learning that
0: I mean, surely further down the road you went as you made your records, like you said, you know, John was learning how to play chords, which is amazing. And then, you know, obviously you, 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 the bigger you get as a band. So you signed to Atlantic and now you have these big producers and you get to record in these amazing studios. I, I mean, did, was it a comfortable shift for the band or did you sort of feel like fish out of out of water almost in the beginning.
1: Oh yeah, we were, we were definitely some dry little fishies, uh, <laughs> especially the first time. It's since then, there's been a couple like really big shockers to us. And the first uh, recording with Atlantic was, I can't believe we're still a band. Like we we fought with ourselves, with our producers. We just got thrown in the deep end and we did not know how to swim. We were horribly unprepared because that's how we've always been. We just go into a studio it's like, all right, let's start playing something and we'll figure it out. And then these producers that met us was like, wait, what? You don't have any, you don't have anything? And we're like, nah. <laughs> they're like, what, do you? I thought you guys were supposed to have your producers. And they're like, no, man. You guys are I'm like, wait, why are we why are we doing this together? How do we do this together? And it it blew up. It was like, it was some really gnarly times for sure. Um, but it's funny because we're still very good friends. We had some pretty big falling out with those producers, but now we're completely like really close friends with that dude and and he's the funniest guy in the world probably because we got thrown into just such an awkward situation and but but that's how you learn man it's uh that is how you learn to swim it's effective and it's terrifying but since then every a lot of things have been gradual until until feel it still and then we got kind of thrown into a whole different world but we were a little bit more confident and prepared for that. And we just thought it was funny too, because we were older. We don't care as much about being cool or anything like that. It's like, we're just kind of doing whatever. And when we got thrown into the pop world, we just thought it was hilarious that they let us in. And at the time I was 36 from Wasilla, Alaska. And I'm, you know, talking to people that interviewed Justin Bieber and shit. And I was like, that's, this is just too funny. And so we, we had a blast with it. And a lot of the, that world kind of liked us and embraced us just because we were a little different. We'd go into interviews and you know, a lot of pop stars kind of don't tell the truth and don't like mm-hmm. you have to okay all the questions in advance and they're not really, everything's kind of scripted. Trust me, and, I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's a little <laughs> Disney. So we go in, they're like, how you guys doing? I'm like, fuck we're super hungover, to be honest, and uh, we got in a fist fight last night with each other, and you know things are a little rough today. But hey, we're here. Let's do this. And so they had a they had a good time. We had a good time, and uh, and it was it was really fun. A uh, blending of universes.
0: You know, you said that's how you learn how to swim: just being dumped in the deep end. And it sounds to me like you're very tenacious at your core, you know, in in terms of being very hardworking and like being very tough Alaskans. And I mean, you guys were playing between like 250 and 300 shows a year for those first couple of years. Like no doubt, you know, cutting your teeth in the process and then building a reputation as well. But I feel like nowadays during this era of I don't know bedroom pop, if you will. You can literally yeah. create and release a chart-topping single like from your bedroom, and that's so cool. I, I, but but I mean, would you say that there are like some down? It is cool, but would you say that there are some downsides to this era of sort of bedroom pop, this instant-like track and release?
1: There is. It's interesting. There's some things I like about it. Um, you get to stay very relevant and current. I love that Uh about hip hop. For us example, we've been working on a record for a year and a half and we've kind of finished it musically. And then every time we're done with the record, we kind of redo all the vocals to fit whatever time to make a snapshot of what's going on in our world right then. And God, things are just changing so fast. You got, you know, murder hornets one day, then a global (laughs) pandemic, insane, like, like WWF politics going on in the United States, where it's like, it's different every two weeks. We're like, I don't know what to say because by the time I say it and we send it off to get it printed on vinyl, the complete, the world will be completely different in four months. And so I do like the bedroom aspect of just like writing something, put it out. It's there. And I do think that's very fun. However, it does take a lot of the, a lot of the dues away and people that can get huge before even playing a show. I mean, it's, I don't think it's very lasting and super good for the music industry. It's kind of created a real like ADD thing among all young music fans. Cause people don't listen to albums anymore. Exactly. Everything's it's a single playlist. Generation. Yeah, it is. And which is fun. Cause that's like kind of, you know, the fifties was really big. I mean, that's kind of what Motown did. So I respect it. It's just, it's not completely my thing. And so we're trying to figure out how to blend those two worlds. And it's interesting. And, um, but what I do also like about it is that it just gives young artists the tools to go. They don't have to make a demo and find a record deal and management yeah. and booking agent. Like, if you got something inside you, I really like that. There's there's certain sports like boxing that it doesn't matter if you are a poor kid that lives on the street or you grew up rich. With something like hockey or skiing or something like, you got to have money to do those things. And so I'm all about making like leveling the playing field and like, all right, if somebody has got a great idea for a song, anybody can put it out. And I love that. And so, um, but yeah, making it in the industry, it's not as much, you know, not enough dues are being paid. I don't think, but as long as you got art in you and you know how to express it, man, I'm all for that.
0: You no, know, you mentioned working on your new album and that you keep going back to it because you want to make it reflective of the times. And was was that essentially why you didn't release Glooming and Dooming because it was you yeah. guys have been working on it for a while and then you were supposed to release it like just before Trump became president and then you know there was a big shift in the political climate and then you scrapped that project talk to me about that decision to not release it because that could not have been an easy one
1: It was not luckily um our singer John like and uh, you know my partner like he really loves to throw the wrench in some spokes he likes to rock the boat to shake things up I'm not as much and it's so that's why we work very well together because we need both aspects of that Mm -hmm. and if you let him have his way it's like it's gonna be a little too crazy if you let me have my way it's gonna be probably a little too safe and so we do work well together but it was a hard decision but in the end We had a really rad record and it just, I'm like, I don't think this is what, this isn't what I want to hear now. This is what I wanted to hear like six months ago. And we were just a little too late. And so, and we'd already, we had spent a ton of money on it and working with like Mike D from the Beastie Boys and Danger Mouse. We had all this stuff, but it was just, it wasn't the right thing to do. And it was very hard and a lot of people got pissed at us, but. (laughs) <laughs> they got over it because then we ended up with feel it still so our record label gives us a lot of leeway now we're like Nah, no nah, we're not ready we're gonna keep going they're like okay because feel it still kind of came in at the 11th hour and uh not that we'll ever do that <laughs> or ever come close to that ever again but that bought us a lot of a lot of time with our label and they've been cool with us since the beginning like we um they know what they are we're we're a bunch of guys that had put out like eight records or sorry like six records seven records before then so they knew that we weren't just some young pop kids that they could mold into whatever they want they're like oh these guys are they do what they do and we're just going to help them do what they do so
0: i think that's the best part of this whole story though because after that album didn't materialize you regroup and then you embark on this journey to create woodstock um which was essentially born when John stumbled upon his dad's like $8 Woodstock Festival yeah. ticket stub, which is crazy. Yeah. And then like sparked this infatuation with 60s pop culture. And, but before we get into the album, because I want to talk a little bit about Woodstock, please tell me about John's dad because he sounds like such a character. He is,
1: oh, he is hilarious. He's one of my favorite people. Yeah, we were all over there. God, I think we were filming a music video and we, uh, and we were just hanging out at his dad's house. He was making us chicken wings, and uh, we had heard all the stories. We'd had him. He comes on tour with us every now and then. He is just a, a hilarious, capable man, and he is just tough as nails and just super funny. And yeah, he told us a bunch of stories about Woodstock. But then he, um, yeah, he kind of he found the tick. He Just like tossed us an envelope. It was like, hey guys, check this out. My buddy just sent it back to me. He had left it in a toolbox. That he had given to a friend back in upstate New York in like 1971. And he sent it back to him. He's like, dude, I found your ticket from Woodstock. And there was just something about holding it and that just really sparked something. But John's dad is just like he is just yeah, he is just harder than you can believe and such a sweet, uh inviting soul. I wish we could tour with him all the time. He is he is the man. We really love that guy. All of our parents in this in this group are so supportive and so cool and just been with us since the beginning. Like everybody's got a really good set. We're all very tight with our families, tight with each other's families and that really helps when we've been together as long as we have.
0: Holding that ticket stub must have been like holding the Holy Grail of music history though that must <laughs> yeah. have been quite a
1: trip. It was nuts. It's also it's kind of funny though. Uh, Because of just what I've seen and how many times I've played festivals in my age, it's hilarious. Like when I think back on how magical Woodstock is, but if like I got to go back, I'd probably hate it. I'd be like, oh, there's just like they're expecting 50,000 people got 400,000. There's no there's just not enough (laughs) infrastructure. Like, I don't like crowds, really. I'm like, I'm like, oh, God, this would have been a nightmare. But you never know. Like when you're in a nightmare, sometimes it can come out to be just a magical thing. It takes exactly. context to see, and there's a certain magic. And that's just that was part of it too. It's like that's so funny that that now, you know, when I was younger, I used to look at the Coachella bills and be like, Oh my god, I would love to go. And now I'm just like, Oh, the last thing I would want to do is go to Coachella. Like as as I uh, like what I do now. I'm just like, Oh god, I've I've done so much. There's so many lines, there's so many people, and it's like a little too just a, a little too something that I'm that I'm not into. I love playing it; it's it's amazing. I love seeing people having fun, but it's just one of those things where you got to know yourself and know what you like and know what you don't like and be honest with yourself. Because a lot of people don't listen to that, and they end up kind of getting into a lane where you're like, "God, how did I get here?" And it's like, "Man, I'm not honest." And back when I wish I would have said, "Like, ah, guys, this isn't my thing. I shouldn't have kept going." You know, always listen to yourself and uh, and be honest with yourself. If you can, it's really hard. I'm slowly learning how to do that.
0: I'm honest with myself when um, I don't want to go to events because I'm getting older. And I'm like, I would actually rather just, you know, spend the night at Club Duvet, like yeah. catching up on some sleep. <laughs> like-
1: oh, totally. Sleep is so dope. Oh, my God. it's. I don't know what I was missing that whole, like, my entire youth. I, just, I didn't sleep at all. And now it's like my favorite thing to do. Exactly. But it's funny and getting stuck in this quarantine situation, I've had a couple things where I've got to got, get together. I just went on a fishing trip um with these with these guys that I, I didn't really know. It's like through other people. We all took, you know, covid test and we quarantined just to go spend uh, a couple days at this house and fish this amazing river up in Washington. And I realized I cuz I've been thriving in lockdown, I'm like, "Oh, this is so nice." I've just like get to turn everything off and just kind of be quiet and and alone. But then I got back in, I was like, I had a great time. like, God damn it. I do like people. I do like meeting new people. (laughs) And like, I guess I do like socializing. And I think I just did it way too much and then did it not at all. And I got to find that happy medium. I'm like, somewhere in there lies the truth.
0: Well, I I mean, I can imagine after the last few years of, Touring Woodstock and the immense success of uh, the single—I mean, you know—it must be nice to have some downtime. Obviously, it's not nice to be in the middle of a of a pandemic, yeah. But but it is nice to catch up on all of those things that you know maybe you missed out on because you were working so freaking hard.
1: For sure, for sure, you got to take. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely not a fan of the disease and what it does to people and their families. Not a fan of uh, people not being able to work and what it's doing to the economy and households, but. Quarantine, I'm like, mm, 10 out of 10. Would do again. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> but I, I generally look on the bright side of everything and uh try to find the uh try to find the lemonade in all situations. And so it's pretty interesting. But I do miss I do miss going places. I miss airports, and that's weird to say. I, I miss, miss airports on, so
0: much too. Dude,
1: totally oh just like I want just a shitty bloody Mary and I want to take a <laughs> nap on a flight. I sleep very well on airplanes and, um, and man, that flight, I want to come back down there, dude. We had such an amazing time. I'm going to rant about this for a minute. Do you mind about South Africa rant away? I loved it so much. It was, it was such a beautiful trip. It was, it was super heavy and it was super beautiful. Like we got to see, I got to see the most amazing things and I got to see the most terrible things. Like, and we learned a lot, the, the disparity level there. Uh, between classes and stuff. Like when we pulled in our hotel in Johannesburg was like, it was like a military complex. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't let Uber drivers in there and right outside there, just like really rough stuff, extremely rough conditions. And we had like barbed wire set everywhere. And it's like a mall. And uh, I don't, I don't like that shit. I, I am not uh, we really got to see a lot of things. We got to talk to a lot of local people and um, man, I just, I learned I learned so much and you know some of it was incredibly bad and some of it was incredibly good but all was just totally important and y'all have just such an amazing um perspective on all walks of life and nature and everything and how how beautiful and dangerous everything can be and it was just so cool and we had a lot of issues you know like the the, the local guys that stepped up and played drums for us because our drummer didn't make the flight and missed the first show, <laughs> and uh, and so we got we had two guys. We basically got off the plane off a very long flight. We were dead, and but we went over to this house. We had a bunch of beers and we just like ran the set a couple times. And We just pretty much that Johannesburg show was so special. I really want to. I got to go back and listen to all the audio because it was. Just, I just set up right in front of the drum kit. I was like look, here's some hand signals. I'm just going to kind of be a conductor and play bass while I'm doing it. And it was like the level of musicianship and not in like chops or riffs. It's just the connection and the communication that, uh, of all the folks that we, that we met down there was just unbelievable. And it was so much fun. And we got to just say that we're like, Hey guys, hey guys, it's so, so amazing. It's our first, first time in time South, South Africa. Africa. We don't have a drummer, <laughs> so we borrowed <laughs> some of y'all's. And it was—it was just a really funny thing. And you know, I—and for like deep fans of it, I don't know whether they—they they loved it or didn't. But it, that's just what happens, man. And the show must go on. And we had a blast. And it was really like a lesson for us. And we got to just like hang out with a bunch of locals right off the bat and hear about the place and go out to some uh, some awesome bars. And we had a great time just uh, rolling in the streets and meeting all walks of life and just like heard some amazing stories. That place is so much fun. I really can't wait to get back. That was the best trip we've ever had.
0: Zach, you know, I like out of all of the musicians that I've interviewed that have toured South Africa... I think you are the only one who has had such a a 360 experience. Like you got to see the good, the bad. You got to check out some wildlife. You got to play two shows. Uh, You got a new drama in the process. Uh, you, you know you were you were exposed to all of these things you really got like the full South African experience and we ran the
1: gambit yeah
0: I, I feel like exactly I feel like you're very very lucky because a lot of bands fly in spend two days here and then fly out on those two days it's normally like one day press and then another day the actual performance so they don't really get to experience South Africa and there's so much to do here so yeah I really feel like you pr- you got the full on proper South African experience, which is great.
1: Thank you. Thank you. We do our best. And we did, you know, we stretched it out to like, you know, almost two weeks. Cause whenever we go someplace for the first time, we, we really try to, we don't sleep. We do everything. We hike the mountains. We drink the drinks. We eat the food. We meet the people. We walk the streets. Like we, uh, we fish the rivers. Like we do everything that we can and then, you know, when we've gone through like five times, then we can maybe catch up on some sleep, but we're not the kind of band that just stays in the hotel. We are, we're, we we want to go out and see there. And, and we really try to, to see the place for the good and the bad. And so, and, and you don't have a lot of time when you're a band and so we make the most of it. But if you only, for any bands that might be listening to this, like two things, if you only have like one night or very limited time or just a few hours in a city at the very least, I go to like the nicest restaurant and I go to the shittiest bar. And in that situation, you just kind of meet the general vibe of people because food really tells a story and in bars completely do. And you really, I feel like you can see like kind of both sides of, of everything. And you really meet an interesting mix of people. If you only got a couple hours, I can't recommend that enough. And that's just a, if you just want a real taste of a city, but just like, in a tiny little shot glass and real quick. Um, yeah. The super nice restaurant, super shit bar. And that's like a really good way to go about it.
0: Zach, you are totally my people. If I'm ever in <laughs> Portland, you have to hit me up with the name of a really nice restaurant and a really shitty bar. And I'll go to both.
1: Oh, I'll take you. And it's funny. They're right next door to each other. They're, uh, I, <laughs> of yeah, <course> they are. <laughs> I, yeah. We go to the Le Pigeon, Gabe Rucker, best chef in town. He is unbelievable. And, um, and then about a block away is the B side and it's a super punk metal bar. And, uh, and then like that little strip, you can kind of, you can t- kind of taste everything. I'm like, if you got three hours in Portland, I know, like, go to the 700 block on West, on East Burnside and, and you'll, uh, you'll get a good taste of the city.
0: I'm writing this down. Actually, I don't need to write this down because we're recording it, so... Yeah,
1: there you <laughs> Yay! go. Yay!
0: I've got in here forever. Um, but when you were in South Africa, you were touring Evil Friends. Um, yeah. And I mean, at that time, you were already very successful. Um, and by the time Feel It Still exploded, you were very established. But at one point, you were playing... I read that you were playing Feel It Still like twice in one set. You play
1: like
0: you play like song three and then song nine, which is like a classic Pink Floyd "Setlist Move." I love that, and then
1: totally,
0: (laughs) but the the red the Reddit community was like pissed, and they were saying things like your label was forcing you to plug the single, or that your guys are being you you guys are being influenced by like the Illuminati. Um, (laughs) I I mean. Are you, but I mean, are you the type of person, and I think I know the answer to this question, but I mean, are you the type of person that's like phased by that sort of feedback or do you just kind of like, you know, you know, write it? I,
1: man, I get, I do get kind of bummed sometimes. I, we all read the comments. You know, you're not supposed to. We read everything. Um, and it kind of bums me out when people don't get our sense of humor. Like, that's funny. And the whole reason that we actually did that um, was Kanye and Jay-Z were playing a show. Y'all ready to leave? And they not ready to leave? And Jay not ready to leave? Show me one thing left to do. Oh, yeah! you're here. That's number five. Let's go! And they got that song, Ember's in Paris. Mm-hmm. And they played it. And they laughed like, that was fun. Let's do it again. And they did it seven or eight times in a row. I thought that was so goddamn funny. And I was just like laughing when I heard about that. I'm like, dude, let's play feel it still twice just to like mess with everybody. And and yeah, it wasn't our label. It's like, it's us being dipshits. And that's like, it's it's just fun for us. That's the whole reason we play music. And we forgot about that. A lot of time it is work, but you got to remember, man, it's fun. And if you're not having fun, people can tell that energy will project off the stage. And there's been a lot of shows where we haven't had fun. And that that always bums me out. I always want to remember why I got into music. And it's just because I woke up every day and I wanted to play music. And honestly, I'm not there anymore. Really, I, I get up every day and I want to fish now and I build my <laughs> house. And so I do that more. Um, and you know what, I'm listening to that, and it's hard because I feel like I'm not doing as much work. And granted, we can't do a lot more um right now in this, you know, the world climate, but it's I think there's just something good about like just kind of doing what feels right to you at any given moment. And and yeah, it's like, you know, we don't you know every now and then we'll plug something for some shit. And yeah, some people give us things, but they also don't understand the full spectrum. A lot of people get mad at us if we like sell a song to a commercial, but they don't get how everything works. Like on our on our feeds, one day we'll be like, hey, here's a Taco Bell commercial that we did a song for. And everybody's like, boo, fucking sellouts. And the next day there'll be an article that we post by like, hey, we gave like, you know, $20,000 to this, you know, water campaign for this native reservation in uh, um, and in, uh, you know, for Navajo Nation. And then they're like, awesome job. Good guys. We're like, do you guys not see the correlation between the two? Like, like you gotta, you gotta do shit. You know, Robin Hood can't steal from nobody. You gotta steal from the rich, give to the poor. Like you can't just like Robin Hood, can't just give to the poor. It's like you run out of shit. And so, yeah, dude, we, we sell out sometimes take their money, you know, like uh, do that. And like, and and they also don't understand a lot of things. Taco Bell, in specific, I don't know. Do you guys have Taco Bell in South Africa? No, we don't. Damn it. Well, it's it's a fine establishment. It's <laughs> shitty fast food, but it's a lot of things that people also don't. Uh, they'll they'll be like boo for some commercial, but they don't understand. Like Taco Bell literally has a program called Feed the Beat, where they. Um, for a bunch of like small really broke touring bands they send a ton of like taco bell gift cards no matter and we had that when we were very young and and it's so cool and like nobody knows about it but that's why we do these things because we know some information Mm -hmm. and uh you know we're not we're idiots but we're not like (laughs) complete idiots and and like that that kept us alive you know i was poor as shit for so long but when i went into taco bell I was like a fat rat. I'm like buying everybody. I'm just like, I got this. I'll ring the bell. Like, burritos on me, guys, cuz I got like $200 in Taco Bell gift cards and and they do that for young bands to just like help them on along their way. They're like, "Hey, if you guys are starving, pull into Taco Bell, we got you." I'm like, "That's fucking cool, man. That's a good way to give back." And that's why we do things with certain companies and But we're not going to explain all of that to everybody. It's not our job to go and tickle each person individually right where they want to be tickled. You know, it's like we got to be us and we hope that other people come along. But I don't expect everybody to agree with everything we do, you know.
0: But also, Zach, how often do you write the song of the summer that literally is played everywhere for like a year and a half?
1: (laughs) Yeah, not very often. (laughs) that was weird right no one saw that one coming and the the lyric like coming out of left field like just is so hilarious that it just did and yeah we're still real confused like we knew it was a good song and all but like jesus christ that thing got massive
0: and didn't you uh, write it in like 45 minutes
1: yeah it was the easiest song we've ever done (laughs) but like by far and that was crazy I didn't really help. I didn't do much on that. Like normally, I like to help with lyrics and stuff. But John was just like, he said a line. He's like, "What do you think?" I'm like, "No, nah, that's good." And then I'm coming up, and he just says another. I'm like, "No, nah, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing." He says another. I'm like, "I'm like, I'm just gonna step back, man." I'm like, "I think you got this." I'm like, "Just go," and then let's put it out. It fucking worked. And then other songs where we spend like five years banging our heads against a brick wall. Why well, I, I don't I don't understand.
0: It's just either. the it's just the way the cookie crumbles, like. Yeah. There's no, I there's no crazy science behind it. It's just how it happens when you're in studio. Yeah,
1: man, it's so weird, and and that's what makes things so fun. That like, I mean, just what people listen to. What I love, like, that's one thing I do like about the the playlist life and everything. Um, like that, like, I kind of just want to live stream sometimes, just like what I listen to on a long drive. If it's it's oftentimes it's just absolutely nothing. Um, silence has been pretty nice lately but like boy we go all over the place like when we're in the van going on going on our little trips like and we're just got our like band playlist going it is a just ridiculous goulash of insane shit and it's really funny that's what we want to be we just we don't really want to be held down to any particular thing we just if we feel like hearing a song of a certain genre or type like we just want to make it like, all right, let's just let's just do that. We just make whatever we want to hear usually. And it's uh, that's kind of been what we've always done.
0: You know, I checked on Spotify the other day and I think feel it's still sitting on like eight hundred million streams on Spotify or something like that. I know it's crazy. But like not only was the song everywhere, but you guys were everywhere. You were on every TV show, you were on Fallon and Conan and Ellen and Corden, but the one that I want to ask you about is your interview with Larry King. Welcome to Larry King Now, our special I mean, what a legend. May he rest in I peace. I know, man.
1: Rest in peace. Yeah, totally. That was such a bummer. Um,
0: such a bummer. I mean, he hosted over like 50,000 interviews in his career. Just think about that. I mean, it's phenomenal. Um, but, and, and I mean, I saw on Instagram the other day you posted a... Um, a very pointed message to him with a photo from when you were on a show. But, but what was that particular moment like being interviewed by Larry King?
1: (laughs) It was uh, intimidating for sure that, that like just being somebody that can do that and just like, man, it, it, it was intimidating. He was super cool and such a pro. How has feel it still changed your lives? For instance, we are, we're doing an interview with you. I was actually more impressed less with the interview than like how he dealt with his crew. There were some technical difficulties and we had to kind of redo a part and he got so pissed off. And he's like, we don't, he's like, we don't try again. We don't do two takes. It's Larry King live. And we're all <laughs> about like not having backup tracks. We we're, we're like embracing the mistakes. And I was like, fuck yeah, Larry, like punk rock, Mr. King. I love that. And he just like, he kind of flipped out. He's like, I'm sorry guys. I didn't want to do that in front of you. I was like, dude, that was so cool. And, um, and he just had like, he had a really awesome um, and respectable. He wasn't like being a dick or anything. He was, it was like all with professional respect, but just how he dealt with this certain situation where, you know, um, it, it was just really cool. And he loves being live and he loves getting those reactions. And I just, I got a huge respect for him and he, and he's just genuinely interested and I like that. And you got that same thing. I really love talking to people because you can hear with journalists or people that are doing interviews, you know, if they, it's not even if they care or not, it's just if they're interested. That's why people like Joe Rogan are so huge. You know, he's not an insanely smart guy. He doesn't know a ton. <laughs> he's just, he's so interested in and what engaging. anybody has to say. Yeah. And that's cool. It's that curiosity that just really keeps, you know, it it works different way for scholars and scientists and, you know, physicists, but it just in general, people just like you learn so much about somebody else when you're just actually interested in listening what they have to say. And I, I got that from him like big time. And that's what I really look for. And you totally got that too. Like, it's really nice to talk to somebody that just kind of wants to know.
0: And honestly, I I have a hard
1: time doing interviews because I like to just, especially in a place like South Africa, where I just got a little bit of a taste and want to know so much more. I could just be asking you this whole time about growing up there. I mean, that place is just fascinating to me on so many levels.
0: We have to do a part two where you just flip the script and start interviewing me.
1: Hell yeah. (laughs) I'll make a podcast with one episode and I'll just ask you a bunch of questions (laughs) and (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, but thank you. And that's that's such a huge compliment. But that's actually one of the reasons why we started this podcast in the first place was because I love talking to people. And you know, I've been interviewing musicians for about 15 years now. And the reactions that I get when I talk to them, um, when it's a live recording, is just so much more live and animated and engaging than it is if I had to have this conversation with you and then go and... Uh, write it down and write an article about it, you don't capture that same magic.
1: You just don't. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And there's different places for different things. Cause, like, when things are informative, like my news, I prefer to read. Yeah. Cause I don't wanna hear any of the biases or anything. Just people even saying the same sentence, two people will say it different. And you gotta, like, some things you gotta read with your inner voice in your own head. Um, but not things like this. That's, I think you have to hear those biases and you have to hear those inflections.
0: So you mentioned that there's been an album in the works for the last, I think you said year and a half. What can you tell me about the album?
1: It's really, really good. Actually, I don't know what it is yet. Um, we're still trying to figure that out. We're If you give us too much time, we overthink things and and uh, and have a problem with it. We're in the process of redoing a bunch of things, but it's really hard to not feel the pressure because – I think we're a little worried because even if we we have it finished and put it out, we don't really know how to put it out right now. You know, we don't know how to work an album. I think we're just going to start dropping songs, and maybe and then just figure out the album later. But we got a ton of stuff. We've been working with Jeff Basker, who is an unbelievably talented songwriter and producer and keyboard player. We've just been having such a blast with him, but we. Obviously, it's been doing a lot of things you know remotely so everybody's kind of setting up with their own studio mine obviously is not working super well at this <laughs> point in time but uh, I'm, I'm rebuilding I'm remodeling a house so I'm kind of in a half house I'm in the uh, I'm in the kids room right now on just a little satellite setup so my apologies for the audio
0: no worry so what you're saying is basically this is Portugal the man embracing the single generation that's what you yeah saying.
1: We're just going to go with it because, yeah, we don't know how to put things out right now or how to put out an album or how to go on tour. So, yeah, we're just going to embrace the times, man. This is the world we live in, and we make music for the world we live in.
0: And the collaboration with Weird Al Yankovic that honors the indigenous people of America, was that a lone standing single or would that be on the album as well?
1: Unsure. It was supposed to be on the album, and then we didn't really we just thought it's one of those things that needed to come out now. So we kind of broke it off. I don't think it'll be on the album now because it's already kind of its own thing, but dude, Mm -hmm. that was so much fun. We sometimes we just start making a song and we hear somebody's voice on it. And for some reason, even though this was a very serious song, we just couldn't help but hear weird Al's voice on it. And so we thought we'd ask him We're just like, Hey man, this isn't funny. Do you want to sing on it? And for some reason he was like, yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to. And it was one of my favorite projects that we've ever done.
0: Well, congratulations, because it really is amazing. It's yeah. And the music video as well. And um, the way that you treated it, because it's a sensitive subject matter to my um, hat off to you because it's a, yeah, it's a great single.
1: For sure. I'd really love, we've been, um, yeah, we've been working. We've got a foundation uh, that we, that we've uh, started up here. That's just all about community resilience and uplifting indigenous voices. And it's been so amazing to work, um, with the indigenous peoples of America and done a little bit in South America and Australia and Alaska, Canada, but I would really love, like it's a whole nother thing. And I really want to come back down there and really get into, um, A lot of the indigenous peoples in Africa because that is just um a whole nother thing like I I can't wait because I've just been learning so much and that's just a complete a whole nother library like I'm so excited to learn some things about uh about that I just I can't wait to dive in and meet some new friends over there
0: And we can't wait to have you. Zach, I just want to say thank you very much for joining me on Text Talks. You are a total riot and it's been an absolute treat. And I will hold you to part two of this podcast. (laughs) and, (laughs) And for you showing me around whenever I'm in Portland. So thank you again. This has been a blast.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. A copy of a copy of the hero that you want me to be.
0: Speaking out, jumping over backyard fences Sneaking out, jumping over
1: backyard fences We're all just looking for freedom They call off the rescue party Ain't nobody looking for me
0: me in studio. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Text Talks. Be sure to check out texttalks.com for more episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or listen to Text Talks on all good streaming platforms. Also a huge shout out to Tom's, the only music store, for being the most incredible technical supplier. From myself, Text, our producers Jonathan Ings and Matthew Luritz, and our research assistant Al Clapper, catch you on the flip side.